Are you a business owner looking to grow and scale your company? Do you want to prepare your company to successfully take on investment? Start by taking the Become Investable Digital Scorecard Assessment. In less than six minutes, you will have information identifying weaknesses in your business model and receive advice on how to address them. Developed using the signature BI methodology, the scorecard assesses your business based on six key investability metrics and provides a comprehensive report to show you how to build a more investable business. Go to becomeinvestable.com scorecard today to start your journey to investability. Podcast World Cabin Studios. This is Caribbean Power Lunch, where it's all about global business from a Caribbean perspective. In 2020, the world changed, and so have we. we. But we don't change. We don't just change. We evolve. So now this podcast will be focusing on unpacking tips from your favorite entrepreneurs on how to build and grow their business and take it to the next level. Today on the show, we have Jamaican national Cadian Preston, founder and CEO of Carib Shopper, an online marketplace that connects Caribbean merchants with consumers in the U.S. and beyond. So instead of us buying products from the U.S., the U.S. are buying products from us. You know, we get that money flowing to the Caribbean as opposed to from the Caribbean. Cadian, how are you doing, sir? Why feeling good, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. It's a pleasure and it's an honor. All right. So, Mr. Carib Shopper, you know, so usually I would go back to your childhood and, and try to unpack, hey, all right, so how did you get into entrepreneurship and all of that? But today I want to focus on I me. Mean, so we know that you would have you would have spent your career in technology. I mean, I also know that you you were working in the World Trade Center during 9-11. Yes, sir. So let me give you that quick story, right? Born and raised in, in Jamaica. Mom is an entrepreneur. Dad's an engineer. When I was about 18 years old, I got my first heartbreak. I said, I want off this island. I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> I want nothing to do with this island. <laughs> so my older brother lived in New York. He was going to Pace University at the time. And um, I said to my parents, I'm moving to New York, which they were highly pissed because they wanted me to take, stay and take over the family business and two of the boys moving away from the island. So, you know, I was hell-bent on leaving, so I moved to New York, signed up for Hunter College, and Caribbean man trying to figure it out. Got my first internship at Yahoo. Was fortunate enough during that time, that was like 98, going into 99, it was when Yahoo was Google, you know what I mean? I was working on 34th Street in the 78th floor, and just the experience. And then my greatest effect was mentorship because the CEO at that time for Yahoo Desktop News, which is now Yahoo Ticker, which is now Yahoo Finance, in the lunchroom, and we started to have a conversation. He loved Jamaica, and we just had a conversation. He's like, you know what? I like you. Come tomorrow morning, report to my office. And from then, ever since I was his tail, I really got to see the level of building a company on a different scale. And he said to me, you're not sure what you want to do yet in life. I want you to work in every single department every single week and until you find what you love. If them say they want coffee, they want donuts, you run and get it. But you unpack as much knowledge as you can until you figure out what you want. And I think after eight months, 
He said, of all the departments that you spent time with, I started spending longer time in the departments. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to learn technology. And I want to focus on engineering, a little bit of programming. I don't have the patience for programming, but I want to learn it because it's the future. I said, but I want to be a CEO. He said, why is that? I said, because I see what your impact is on every single department. And growing up in an entrepreneurial world, seeing my mom start her own business from scratch. And my first business was in high school, actually. I used to be a mixtape man, me and my friend, Dane Chin. I said, George's College, we used to sell your stone love, mm. the silver heart mixtape. So <laughs> my brethren, Dane, his father owned a club. And his father had all the DJs come and play the club. The actual club was a strip club. Uh-huh. Yeah, so Dane would get from the driver all of the mixtapes delivered to him. And between him and myself, we bought TDK on wholesale and we would use the parents, you know, dual castle player. Remember that big sound system you had in the living room? Right, right, right. Finish your homework and running tapes all night. By the next day of school, we have the latest mixtapes with our cassette in our hand, walking down the block and selling 20, 30 till three years in from third form all the way up to fifth form. We were the cassette man. As a matter of fact, I nearly never graduated from high school because the principal told me that Preston, I wanted to stop selling mixtapes in the school because one first former complained that you sold my bad mixtape. I never want to give him back your money. And I said, sir, the little man mash up the mixtape now and off use the walk, man. <laughs> you <understand? laughs> and he said, well, listen, if I catch you selling mixtapes one more time, you're not going to graduate. And I just passed my CXCs. I got an excellent grades. Mm-hmm. And he caught me. Caught me again. And this was my first problem resolution because he called in my parents, told them, listen, Preston has seven CXCs, you know, four ones, three twos, and two threes. He's definitely graduating, but we're not making him walk down the aisle because I told him if I caught him selling mixtapes anymore, he's out. You know, my mixtapes, I made so much money, I was buying two-stroke motorcycle and save up enough money for the summer travels and all this stuff. And I'm like, yo, my father said to me, you know what? He tell you, you don't, your hard ears, you're going to feel. My mother's pissed off, everything. She's like, you know what? All your graduation stuff not happening anymore. And so I hope we're going to get out of this. So I think and I think and I think. And I went to Hector Stevenson at the time, Mr. Stevenson. I said, Mr. Stevenson, listen, sir, here's the deal. You're going to George's College Old Boys is an old boys structure that is consistent with supporting school year after year. Your accolades for new students come from the old boys. And you're going to take the chance of not allowing me to say, I graduated from St. George's College. When down the line, this I could be an old boy that impacts St. George's College in a way that helps to bring more morale and be able to sponsor and support the growth of, of, of the school. And because I'm doing a business that for the last three years, I've had 90% satisfied customers, one bad customer, and I did what I was supposed to do at school. You're going to deny me a walking on ad. I said, Mr. Stevenson, I would like you to think about that because I'm going to be the next great entrepreneur. And little did I know that was not going to be true. <laughs> but 
<laughs> Mr. Stevenson thought about it and said, Presta, you aired the case well. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to sweep up the yard every morning till you graduate and you'll graduate. You have to show up every morning and you have to sweep up the driveway of the school every morning before you go to class. And I did it and I graduated. But I say that to say all these lessons, when I graduated college, my first job was at a, a Wall Street trading firm managing their day trading technician. Right. And I thought, I thought I was just like in heaven, right? Because I'm driving out to Great Neck, New York. I'm 21 years old. They say, you know, they're paying me $40,000 a year salary. And that was like, I call my parents. I'm like, oh, I hit the lot. Because <laughs> you, you can't wait that you make it one time. It's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I converted long time. I'm like, yo, I'm rich. <laughs> and, you know, literally, I know that was just the beginning of a rocket ship. And it's something that is very interesting because when I signed my agreement, they said, you know, you get bonuses three times a year. All right. Three times a year? Yeah, three times a year, right? And it was a trading firm, right? So it's based on the company's profits. And I, my brother at the time was working for, I think, PricewaterhouseCoopers as a trader, as a programmer. And I was like, so what's bonus look like? So you know, you get a $500 every quarter or something like that. Early 2000s. <laughs> is it like internet stocks are like crazy? Yeah, 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 yeah. That time yeah, yeah. That time is, they were hot, yeah. Yeah, man, I'm working on trading platforms. I'm fixing computers. I'm doing all of this stuff. And then uh, one paycheck, I, I get an extra check with my check. Look at it and say, no, sir, mistake is mine. <laughs> get back to HR and HR said, I said, HR, you give me the wrong check. Did you any wrong check? She said, so what are you talking about? She laughed. She said, no, man, it's not the wrong check. That's your quarterly bonus. I said, but that's half of my salary. As a quarterly bonus, she said, yeah, the firm is doing well. She said, you should see the other bonuses. I said, right, it. I got a $20,000 check three months into the job and I was already making a great salary. I was just like blown away. Lifestyle change. It was just ridiculous at that time. But move forward, the company started expanding and they had rented a space originally in World Financial Center. My boss at the time was a trainee by the name of Radesh Ramata, right? All right. No, sorry. Radesh was guy and me, sorry. You had a Guyanese boss, right? Right. You had a, a manager of the technicians named Lou, who was a white boy from upstate New York, cool as hell, knew everything, but was just chill. He had me as a Jamaican, and he had another black American. So when I said, you know what? I'm going to send you down to, to Wall Street every day. And I thought it was a demotion, Kevin. I thought, my God, I'm leaving headquarters to know where I used to just drive to work, have a nice little commute, get into work at seven o'clock, enjoy my ride. Now I have to jump on the train, go down to Wall Street, cross the bridge, go into World Financial Center, deal with the hustle and bustle. Before I was in Great Neck, New York, so I was just like, man, peace, I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna quit. <laughs> I'm gonna quit. So I, I remember calling my, my mentor at Yahoo, David, the CEO, and I said, David, this is what happened. He said, listen to me. He said, uncomfortableness is the first part to success. Are you comfortable where you are in Great Neck? So yes. So then there's no room to grow. He said, go down to Wall Street, get uncomfortable. You never know what doors will open up. So I go down, all right. 
So you're job paying you well, you're learning, you're one year into this, you're young. Go down there. I go down there, I'm working. A year and a half into it, guess what happens? The company switches or makes our offices bigger down the World Financial Center and makes the World Financial Center the primary office. Okay. Moves the head office to World Financial Center. And it so happened that Gary, the owner of the company, appointed me as the, the senior technician. And unfortunately, my friend Radesh was really pissed off about that. He still had his his position, but then I oversaw 15,000 traders and had my own team that I managed. 15,000, he's saying, no, I think I made a mistake. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no. It was 1,500 traders in the World Trade Center, sorry, uh-huh. and it was about 800 in the World Financial. Okay, but that's still a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And they were expanding. Um, it's a company by the name of Andover Trading, owned by uh, Gary and, and Mike Picosi. Big company. They exited. They exited probably about half a billion dollars when they exited in like two thousand five or six or whatever the case may be. Okay. Long story short, built out the office, hired a couple island guys, just came out of school, working at the World Financial Center, working in that office, managing the floor. And long story short, Kevin, the morning of of nine eleven. I am in my office. We're getting ready for trading. It was 20 minutes before the market opened. And we feel the building shake. I said, Rati, what up? So I see maintenance. I look outside. We're on the 16th floor. I see maintenance shuffling. Mm. We go downstairs and see what's going on. At that time, it was a Jewish holiday. And none of the owners of the company were there. So at that time, it was two managers that were running the office. Myself and Richard Gwen, the Gwen. And so when we went downstairs and looked, we got enough time to see the second plane hitting the World Trade Center. And I thought this was Armageddon. I said, yep. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I am dead. This is it. So ran back upstairs, told the risk manager, we're packing up everything, we gotta go. The world's on fire, right? There's a war going on, something going on, and we don't know about it. Mm. And the, the sirens went off to evacuate the building, we had to take the stairs, took all the important stuff. And literally sat there outside the building, you know, worried about my technicians who are on the 80th floor of the World Trade Center, building two, and the traders there, and watched the building, watched people jump out of the building, watched the building burn. And then eventually I jumped in my car and, and went north to my brother in the Bronx. And the building collapsed. So you literally saw people jumping out of a... Every single thing. And I had to go to counseling for a little bit to just uh, yeah, get, through, yeah. get through that. And I probably went to about 20 to 30 funerals for us. We lost a couple of traders. One of the technicians I hired, I can't forget his name, is Timmy. He got burned. He went on the Oprah show from debris coming down. Uh, it was a serious time, but... Mm-hmm. All a part of the story, all a part of the journey. That made me want to move out of New York. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's when you headed across to Miami. Yeah, we moved to me and my brother. We moved to Miami Beach and started our development dev shop. We started building hospitality software and web development and started managing 
some big clients in Miami and growing our company. And then, of course, the downturn in the economy in 2007 or 2008 yeah. happened. Yeah. 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 That was another great lesson. And so, but one of the things that was on my mind, Kevin, to tell you that story to say, doing something impactful in the Caribbean was, was always on my mind, right? And growing up, I remember when, when my mom had a, the children's store and she used to import like Oshkosh Bigosh and all of these stuff. Her business didn't grow as fast as when she opened up a small warehouse with seamstresses and had them make the same styles locally, brought in the textiles, and was able to appeal to a different market that wouldn't be able to buy the children's clothes sold in the store by the big brands because of the brand pricing. So now we had what we call Chucky Kids, a brand that was same styles, sheets, good quality, made local. And my brother and I, we had the idea to, to make online shopping easier for the Caribbean, right? Because we were sick of the post boxes. We're sick of our family members calling us to buy this, buy that, because the card won't work or this, or that. And so we built Carib Shopper in 2016, mm-hmm. originally for the import of U.S. goods, right? All right. So wait, just one sec before you continue there, right? Because I think it's really important just to kind of delve into the reason, well, the impetus behind Carib Shopper, right? So you initially wanted to solve an import issue just because, well, essentially you were fed up, right? And you were, you were essentially well entrenched diaspora. Yeah, like bounty, poor people fed up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so tired of packing up your suitcase, tired of getting that car. Can you, can you buy this on Amazon for me? Can you drop it off at my shippers? Can you do this? Can you do that? I mean, and also, you know, our network, all our friends had the same problem. There wasn't one friend that didn't have the same problem, right? So we knew what the challenges were. It was payments. Mm-hmm. It was retailers allowing our gateway, allowing our IP addresses to shop on their platforms. And it was the shipping simplification. So when we built the first kind of shop up, we did some really amazing things, I would say. One, we, we were the first to do cardless shopping. So you could shop on Amazon and Macy's and Walmart and all of these companies with cash, right? We integrated with a top-up network to allow people to bring their cash to a top-up network, get a Carib Shopper pin, log into Carib Shopper, load the pin and had that amount of money represented on their account. They could buy from any of the retailers we integrated. And we had integrated with over 150 retailers, which was a cool part. And then we partnered with, with DHL to deliver directly to your door. But little did we know, and while we made it very convenient, it still wasn't Caribbean. So mm-hmm. great for us. They put a beating on us. <laughs> In Jamaica, we went up against the big boys. And while they could manage, you know, the brokerage side of things, the clearance side of things, you know, we thought that transparency was part of the product market fit for the customer because that would be a complaint. People said they wouldn't know what the product cost landed. But when we did that and you had to pay for it up front, people felt like they could work with their local freight forwarders to get it cheaper and just the Caribbean way. So in markets like Jamaica and Trinidad, we did okay, but we didn't do great. In markets like Cayman and Turks and Antigua, we did great because their duty structure was very simple. You understand? It was either this or this. And 
their spending powers were different. So once we started getting deep into it and we had applied for one of our mentors told us to apply for Techstars to really grow the company and get really close to the big retailers. And we did that. And we went. So Techstars, that's like a tech accelerator slash incubator or something like that? Yeah, it's the largest in the world. Okay. But bigger than Y Combinator and all those guys? It's bigger than Y Combinator, but it's number two to Y Combinator. So the, the number one accelerator is Y Combinator. The largest is Techstars is in more places in the world than Y Combinator. But if you ever talk about number one and number two, it's Y then Techstars. Interesting. All right. So just kind of touching back on the business model a bit. So you said you yeah. people were able to preload essentially like a, well, not a carb shopper card, but you're able to preload their carb shopper account. Account, yeah. So essentially yeah. you're making these products available to the unbanked. Yes, sir. But yeah, we, we thought all we were doing something in that time. He did give me a kudos on that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. You're helping out the unbanked so people who, who may not have had access to a credit card and all of that. You also had partnerships with Amazon and eBay and Walmart and stuff. Like, how were you able to get the yeah. partnership with Amazon? Or is it like that kind of, you know, fulfilled by... No, okay. no, 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 no. We, before we were doing scraping, and because of Techstars, we got direct access to Amazon, to people in Seattle, built into their API, actually got approved where... Every sale that we brought to Amazon, we got paid a commission there. Um, oh, right. Their affiliate structure. So we got approved on their affiliate structure. And because we took the risk on the transaction, so if Kevin ordered on Carib Chopper, it was being processed on Carib Chopper's processing, and Carib Chopper was paying Amazon, right, through our account. So it indemnified some of Amazon's risks, and it gave them that bulletproof that they wanted. And as we started building out, I think... The more conversations that we had every month with our Amazon partners, they got the bug and, they, and we saw them, you know, do a partnership with Western Union for cashless buying for Mexico. And then they turned it into Caribbean. And in 2018, they launched in Jamaica directly. I told them they're going to still have to figure out the duty structure, but they'll learn, right? Caribbean people are different. But, you know, now today you can buy directly from Amazon. So when we saw that in 2018, we said, it's only a matter of time before all our partners, we're just a middleware. So we don't own the customer and it's not a good use of capital. So we always had this idea for Project Grow Local. And so we said, all right, let's take 2019. It's a hard decision. We sat down with our board. We sat down with our partners and we said, listen, we're going to wind down this business because we don't think it's a good use of capital because longevity isn't there, right? And we're looking at certain components. And while we have some semblances of product market fit, we're not feeling the, the strength of the business in the long term, right? And we're fighting two different battles. We're fighting our partners who are the actual product providers, and now we're fighting the freight forwarders locally. So it was just, we felt like the best use of capital was to explore what we call Project Grow Local. And we spent 2019 doing that. And I think that's when we met Kevin, right? Right. On my many trips to Trinidad, eating doubles <laughs> and having a great time. <laughs> By the way, I love Trinidad. I can't wait till you guys open the border. I need to come. This is just ridiculous now, but who am I? Mm. Yeah, and I like Jamaica too, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So tell me more about, about this pivot, right? So 2019, jump on a plane, flew to every single island that we plan to onboard 
within the next two years, met with small, medium businesses, large-scale businesses to see if what we were proposing as a marketplace for Caribbean-made products, bringing the Caribbean culture closer to people who live away from the Caribbean, is something that they'll be interested in. So once we started picking up steam in that and seeing that the value was, was being appreciated, we started doubling down. And by, I want to say, October 2019, we started team working on team, putting together money to start getting the business going. And then by, I said, February, we interviewed with the WePay guys to get us going. And then from there, we started building out the platform even more, the team. We started really assessing how do we infiltrate Jamaican Trinidad. And it was an uphill battle. It was an uphill battle while it was a necessary need for the merchants to export their product, especially when people are not traveling anymore to buy, right? They didn't prioritize it. They didn't prioritize the onboarding. They were scared of the technology. And so we had to literally do the handholding. You'd be surprised. We had to literally do the handholding all the way through. And today, you know, that took about six to eight months. It was a struggle. And by the time we got a good amount of product on the platform, we launched in beta. At the end of October, we started testing our process. We feel that we're prime time now to go loud in the market. You know, we have over... I want to say 68 merchants in Trinidad and counting mm-hmm. onboarded onto the platform. We have about 220 in Jamaica. Trinidad was a little bit more of a challenge for us because we couldn't fly into that country. While I could get into Jamaica and solve the problems locally and, and get more press and get more support, Trinidad, because of, of how you guys locked down, was a slower transition. But it's moving fast now, so we're happy about that. And what we're finding is that our structure is giving small, medium, even large-scale businesses the visibility and the consumers living away the access to home. And that's the game plan. You know, in one hand, we saw the problem of helping merchants expand and grow and scale their business easily with a marketplace. And on the other hand, we're helping the members of the diaspora, people who love the culture, to be closer to the culture in the world that we live in. So, I mean, today on a team call, I hear a Canadian cussing us out that, oh, how are we just doing the US and we don't reach Canada yet? This is foolishness. And we need to get our act together because we're an e-commerce company. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's exciting times. Definitely. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like I just say that, right? Because, I mean, we were talking about this just pre-show. But a lot of people in the Caribbean, a lot of small businesses are saying, hey, let me try my hand at e-commerce, right? But it's, it's really difficult to get that right. So I really want to just get from you in terms of that, that strategic element. So one, how did you really nail down product market fit? Like, how did you decide who are the best customers for me to target? Who are the customers that I could create the most amount of value for? The customers I like working with the most and who are the, the customers that you create the most amount of value for? Right. So interesting enough, product market fit was something that Techstars taught as well, right? And, you know, we went through with a bunch of questions, a bunch of understanding, you know, when we'd interview, like I'd sit down with Kevin and say, Kevin, you know, tell me your greatest challenge, Y, X. And we go through the various scenarios. And once we started noticing that there's a trend, 
right? And that trend is an applicable problem across multiple cross-sections, and you'd see it, right? Once you start tabulating that data, that data is what going to answer you. And then you, you then put up surveys to ask questions. So we did, a, we did a preliminary survey in the beginning before anybody knew what we were doing, right? We pushed out a Facebook ad with a picture of home and asked a bunch of questions. If you could get any product right now, what would it be, right? And a bunch of the last four people answered, and we made it fun. And a lot of people answered, and they threw products out there, and that became our initial targets. Because once we saw multiple responses on a specific product that we knew that those merchants were the first targets to, to onboard. Then before that, in 2019, when we were talking to merchants, we kind of got an understanding of their challenge. Because look, they can put up a website, right? They could use PayPal for payment. The customer wants their product and they could ship with a post office, right? So what's stopping you from doing e-commerce? It's putting it all together and managing the process, right? And what we learned is that between small, medium, and even large, didn't stack the team to support e-commerce. And a lot of businesses thought that it was just, okay, I'll do this without any expertise. And it takes expertise to manage it, to manage the process. And that's how we knew that for us, the marketplace model and XSX, the Amazon of the Caribbean model was the right model for our people because of where they were in the growth stages of e-commerce and their comfort levels, doing the fact that in this model, all we ask them for is give us your product. We do the rest. We do the logistics. We do the payments. And every two weeks, we send you a, you, we send you a, a deposit to your account in US dollars of all the sales that you made. Yeah, but what about the the marketing most like like most importantly? Because I I know I saw that you you mentioned that you guys do the marketing, but who could really market somebody's product better, better than them? Very true. So if you look at how we stacked our team, we stacked our team with former members of who are SMEs. We actually hire people who this is they love this, they live this, yeah. they you understand. Anya Young, she's an SME. She's been a warrior for that area. You understand. Um, Catherine Goodall was our CMO. She worked for a lot of the manufacturers and understand the payment point, pain point. So within the onboarding session, we take data from the merchant, right? And just like Amazon or Etsy, they don't know the products that well. What they do know is that products sell if they're good. So at the end of the day, we put good product description out there, good product images, customers are able to identify it, and the merchants do their job in on their channels, talking about their products, selling their products, so people can talk about their product. We'll be the destination. We handle the logistics, we handle the payments, we get and we handle the customer service. And we market the Caribbean on one platform. You can find anything. And that's our goal. Our flywheel, part of our flywheel is to make it that we are the destination for Caribbean-made products. And I'm sure there's there's a lot of competitors coming up and I, and I embrace it because it's growth in the industry. But we want to be the number one place when people think about, I want something Caribbean. I'm living in Mississauga. I'm living in Boston, Massachusetts. I want this delivered. And to date, even in beta, without us spending anywhere near our budgets in marketing, we've shipped over 1,272 products across the U.S. in 
I want to say 22 states, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And then in December, we did a, a pilot in Canada and we, we've done about 95 products in Canada. We've stopped it because we need to fix certain VAT issues in, for Canada. But, and we're getting ready to launch Canada in, in second quarter. So okay. we have tried and tested it in the sense that our product market fit study from both the merchant side and the customer side is mm-hmm. make it simple for the merchant and make it accessible for the consumer. And that's our job. And so they take away for entrepreneurs in the Caribbean who want to create an e-commerce platform. No matter who you want to face, even if you're facing the US, Africa, wherever it is, is to always think about that end-to-end solution. You can't just be providing one end of the value chain. Sure. Yeah, you have to be doing the logistics. You have to be, think about the marketing. You essentially have to be that person's outsourced shop, essentially, right? And that's because companies in the Caribbean are not investing in this. So they're not hiring a Cadian person to run their e-commerce division, right? They're just right. expecting it to work. So they put it up on a website. They get these orders. They don't have nobody fulfilling. They nobody have tracking Nobody's doing the logistics. Nobody's making sure the customer receives the product. When it, it's a process, right? Chargebacks, understanding the whole payment processing side of things and moving the money in an efficient way is the challenges that they face. So we are your e-commerce partner. That's our goal. And I know Shopify was the inspiration, right? No. The Shopify were created singular stores. And we, when we did our study, the singular store model still required the, the manufacturer or the merchant to maintain that, to have a cost on that site. And so we realized that would be burdensome and that would slow down the process of progression. So we went with the marketplace. You know, Shopify is a hosting and simple hosting for, for e-commerce, but we went marketplace, which is a totally different model. Um, and that's the differentiation between Amazon and, and, and Shopify. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to speak of Shopify, I would say our friends that we pay went to Shopify month, right? Okay, got you. So it's, it's really about platform versus, okay, this is my company. This is become investable.com. We want to sell some merchandise. So we, we just plug in some Shopify, it's similar to how you would um, add, what's this WordPress plugin? Is it um, WooCommerce? Yeah or what have you. So, okay, so it's just like your own shop, but you can't be a distributor for somebody else's shop and you won't be a platform for somebody else's shop. It's just not as powerful as what you trying to build. Or I was going to say trying to do like, you know, in terms of like what Amazon does, you know, Amazon is the, is the aspiration. Sure. In terms of this, this sort of model. And interestingly enough, our model is a little bit different from Amazon. Well, quite different from Amazon. Mm-hmm. We don't allow resellers on our platform. So we deal directly with the manufacturers. And the reason for that is, if we're able to you know, affect small, medium, and large-scale manufacturers with growth, right? We're now distributing their product direct to consumer and able to share data. We're able to help them to manufacture better. We're able to help them grow on different levels, you understand? And we believe that will spur new job openings. It will also spur new champions. Mm-hmm. So Kevin sitting at home, you know, is a great artisan and feels like for him to have a living and have a family, he can't do what he loves to do. He can't execute it. So he, he gets a visa and goes to America and, and go work 80 hours a day just to have a family and live that dream, right? When he's, he would be much happier in the Caribbean, in Trinidad, doing what he loves and he can make a quality product and now he's able to grow. This is the fourth industrial revolution, right? This is what it's all about. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. in entering to that, 
we're very deliberate in how we're positioning ourselves. And so you will see as time goes, and I know you've been a good support for us, you'll see how we shape out and how we bring the e-commerce revolution from a marketplace standpoint to the region. Gotcha. Yeah, we're truly excited about what's coming down the line. Got you. Just to kind of touch on uh, marketing one more time. I don't want to beat it like a dead horse. No, man, beat it, man. <laughs> All right, so your target market in terms of the customers. So we understand how you handle emergent and, you know, you reach out to them. It's a kind of outreach kind of campaign. Hopefully it becomes a little bit more inbound. I mean, uh, we could talk about that offline if you want. So interesting, it's becoming inbound now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was outbound. It was a hard fight up until January of this year. Mm-hmm. So from April of last 2020, all the way to January 2021, it was all outbound. We were beating the pavement. Right. And now we have pipelines of merchants that were struggling to onboard, right? Because we knew that it would shift. Success would shift it. Once merchants start talking about, yo, this thing working for me, you know, I'm selling. You know, I'm fulfilling orders weekly. And they tell their peers, because people are clusters, it would make things easier. Once the word got out there, that we're doing some good or value is, is being created, then we knew the hands turn and started turning in January for us. And, you know, December was one of the best months for us. Obviously, we started in November, but December was a great month for us. You know, we're seeing a good conversion rate on traffic and we're seeing growth in, in multiple areas of the business. Obviously, we're at the beginning stage, but it's very positive growth and it definitely signals to us that this is something that we can double down hard on now. I mean, you also have to look at, all right, so December is Christmas time. Your market is the diaspora. The, the world is on lockdown, so they can't go home, but they want to feel a little bit at home. So they want to get those um, tasty patties. They want to get some catch. You want to get some roasty, whatever it is they want to get, or the spices that you sell, or the Rasta sandals, the Kelly sandals, all of these things, right? But how do you expand that diaspora's appetite, right? So I mean, they are the people who who know it from their childhood on who parents grew up there, but what about their neighbor, Fred? So that's very interesting. So today, 60% of our transactions, no, let me give you the right numbers, 52% of our transactions come from a member of the diaspora. Interesting enough, 26% came from family members in the Caribbean sending gifts to family members living away from home. Right? The rest okay. was American. American and Canadian who just loved our countries. Who have no direct ties to the... Their ties, they love the culture and they spent time there. And somebody told them. And interesting enough, a lot of those people, because we spent a significant time in the beginning doing a lot of SEO, did Google searches for their products, saw us in the top, clicked on it, bought, loved it, left a survey, left a reminder, and a, a repeated shop. Right. From our marketing team, we know that our first customer is diaspora. Our second customer is the customer from home who has a loved one living away, whether it be your brother, your son, your daughter, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, whatever. Somebody's connected to somebody and needs to make somebody happy, right? right. And then the third market is the lovers of the Caribbean culture, right? And so if you look on our style, which we're going to augment the version two, you'll see our style is not like the original Caribbean. It has, or our branding is a little bit boutique and also rustic. So we can have the craftsman on the platform and we can have 
the chandelier on the platform and it all blending together. And at the same time, focus on the products and Caribbean made and the nostalgia. So we're hoping that we're able to expand on that and programs like this, Kevin, I'm sure all your listeners are Caribbean, right? Mm-hmm. So we're getting the word out there. We're getting the word out there. Yeah. I would say probably close to 50% around there of the audience who listen to this podcast, actually, are outside of the Caribbean. So, of course, US. US is a large contingent. You know, you get a good bit from California and all of that stuff. But it is kind of going back to you, right? So earlier you spoke about, you know, you want to own that customer relationship and everything, right? Mm-hmm. So my question for you, for Carib Shopper, so when you're handling the logistics, the marketing and everything for the merchants on their behalf, but who gets the, the end customer's data? We share it. We share it. So we, yeah, Ooh. we were very, very specific about that. Why? Because at the beginning of this, our mission is to grow exports in the Caribbean. And we keep that data. We have to share that data in order for the merchants themselves to grow. Because at the end of the day, Kevin, the old school Caribbean thinking is, you know, exclusive, 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 hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, keep everything to yourself so nobody can't take nothing from you. That's bullshit. The world has taught us Elon Musk has put out his battery technology for the last 10 years. His company does not copy him, but still can't duplicate him, right? Because he puts out a good product. Understand? How many programming languages have put it out there for free? And it grows. At the end of the day, we know what we can do with the data. We also know what the merchants can do with the data. Because if I share with a merchant that, yo, this is your product selling in California, you need to go find a distributor and make more product and find a, and find a store to sell your product in California. I've just helped him to be successful. Mm-hmm. And me helping him to be successful, by extension, we become successful because he's not going to leave us. Only very few people turn their backs on support. Again, very few people. And those are the people we don't want to be partners Exactly. With. Our merchants are our partners. And... We have no exclusivity, so if they want to list with us and list their product with somebody else, love it. Because the goal is, once the merchant sells more, once we're able to impact the growth in the Caribbean, right, and make the customers smile who live away from home, our job is done. That's our job. Before we get into raising capital to grow the business, because, I mean, of course, being a, a tech platform, that type of business model is is where you know it calls for a good bit of consume money. It consumes money in the early <laughs> until you get critical mass and then it starts to show a profit. Right? Yeah. So I know you're able to get that partnership with WePay, I believe in February of um last year, was it? Yeah. How did that go and what does that, that partnership do for you? So that partnership with WePay was, you know, extensive relationship. Uh, Alwyn and I were working on deals and, and collaboration in 2019. And so there was a fit and, you know, we went into a, a small partnership that gave the business a, a small push tied with the investment from, small investment from WePay. My brother and I, we invested also and, and doubled down on the business. And then in September, we were able to raise 1.4. Shortly before that, we raised another 150. So we're total 1.55 million. Mm-hmm. And we're not done yet. We have another million to raise and we're very close to raising and we're excited about the new partners coming in. Our total raising our seed round is supposed to be 2.2. 2. 
but I think we're going to end up with 2.4, but it's been a long road. Like I thought we'd have been done raising capital by March of last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we're in February this year and we're still not done with the wrong yet. So it's been a hard. Uh, and the you, you spend about two and a half hours each day just researching investors and, and all of that. Like walk me through that lead up to actually securing that, that 1.4 million from Delta Capital. Wow. So the Delta relationship, you be so things never happen the way it's it set out to be. So Delta relationship happened actually in 2019 when I was on a panel at Tech Beach and I was on the stage with Anthony Dunn, Aldwin, of course, and Laren, and Zach was in the audience, actually. Okay. After I spoke, came off the stage, Zach was like, hey, good talk, man. And he's like, yeah, I like what you're doing. And we sat down and we talked, and I think... We grabbed a coffee and just kick it and nothing to it because I met him before more on a social level. And then we just sit down and talked and we never even talked about investment or anything like that. We just talked business. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, uh, I want to say August of 2020, you know, somebody pinched me and said, you know, Zach starting a new venture spin-off from SSL called Delta Cap, and he's the CEO, he's a chairman, sorry. And so I said, all right, made some contacts. I said, definitely interested. You know, we pitched their entire team. We had a second pitch. We shared the financials. We went through the whole nine yards. And, you know, they said they wanted to, to take half the round out. So we were very excited. They said they needed, you know, time to do the due diligence. Due diligence was done, contract signed, and the rest is history. And that, that was over a year, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Within that time, we have, yeah, like I said, we put 72 total VCs up from Trinidad to Jamaica to the U.S. to even Belize. I mean, we just know as a startup founder, there is nothing more important than determination and relentlessness. And I want to say... Having the knowledge and having the right people around you is critical because it helps you make good decisions. But there are many nights, Kevin, where I sit back and I'm like, why? Why am I doing this? I'm at, you know, hour number 14. I'm tired. I have to keep pushing. It's not easy. It's not glorious. There's nothing glorious about it. It's 8 o'clock, 8.47 right now. I've been up since 6 a.m. this morning, which is, one hour later than I'm normally up every morning, right? And I'll probably be done at 10 p.m. And I start to get back up at 5 a.m. And we have a team of 15 and growing. So think of that. And there's nothing glorious in this entrepreneurial life. You really have to be convicted about what you're doing, understand what it's going to take to get there, and be relentless in that pursuit. Because every single day is a day either of triumph or failure. And through those ebbs and flows, your emotions go through that. Understand? Yeah. So it is not for the faith of our heart. Yeah, I mean, definitely putting on my P slash VC hat. I mean, one of the major things we look at when early stage companies come to us, because a lot of the early stage companies will necessarily have a whole heap of um, revenues and profits just yet. But we have to look at who's the founder, who's the team behind them. You know, so you mentioned that you have 15 people on your team and you, you stress on the importance of the team around you. So, Minister, I mean, like, in real briefly, like, how do you go about selecting and onboarding your team? So another thing I learned through my career, every interview, every employee, I have to be in that interview. 
we have to understand the culture of the company. You have to really be deliberate about it, actually. What type of people you want working with you, right? And when you itemize that characteristic, a very good mentor of mine really helped me to hone in on this. He's a great guy, Andre Bayo, Trinidadian, great guy. He lives in, in Barbados right now. But Andre would say, you know, you're honing on the characteristics. You write those characteristics down, right? Mm. Of what you want each team member to possess. Right? Four things. Keep it simple. And then when you write out each position that you need filled, because what happens is, boy, you're burning, you're burning, burning. It's like, oh, we need a person for this. And you have to stop that knee-jerk reaction and say, okay, what is the goal for that position? And when you, and when you write it differently and you write down the goal for that position, then you know the kind of person, and then you go to market and you look for that person. And when you see those dots line up, right, that's when you know you have taken out a lot of the guessing because hiring people is all guessing because I'm only seeing the representation, I'm seeing a resume, and you're telling me this, and I no way to verify that. I have to go off of, if you're checking the, the specification I set for that position, and if you're checking if I think that you can accomplish based on what you've said and based on what we have done on the goals for that position. And once you change the way we thought about each position as a goal for the position, it changed the way we hired completely. Gotcha. Okay. So we speak about um, the building your right team and everything, right? But um, I listened to you earlier and you were saying, you know, you're, you're up all of these hours. You have to keep going, 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 going. But I mean, another factor that, that we look at when investing in a company, I mean, I know you're early stage, so it's okay and you're a young guy, but you know, what, what about like, can the company survive without you? Can the company operate in your absence? Because if not, essentially the biggest risk to the investor is you. Sure. And that's why the investment company takes out a DNO insurance on me. That's another form of key man insurance? Yeah, no, another form of key man insurance. And on top of that, I have a co-founder, right? Mm -hmm. So my co-founder is my brother. And you have to build, you have to get in the mindset of building a process that's replicable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even on my way over to the office today, I, I just did some work on, on, at the dentist and I was on my way here. I was like, hmm, you know, there's a position in my company right now that we need to document all the processes in because... If that person should ever come to me and say, you know what, I quit. Oh, we in trouble, right? And mm -hmm. it's thinking about that, you know, thinking about, yo, at one point, Kevin, I want to grow this business so big that I, I'm no longer the CEO. Exactly. That should be the goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I know where my limits are. I will not be managing a, a company of over 150 members of staff because what the stress I'm dealing with 15 and keeping that, unity and, and that communication together i don't even know what it looks like at 150 200 people so i know where i can go to a different position like yeah head of product or something like that or put me on the board or chairman or something like that but at the end of the day you have to have that level of security not insecurity but security in yourself understanding yourself and that emotional confidence that okay this is where we are. We are good at it or we are bad at it. We need to fix it or, or we need to make it better. And here's the things that we need to put in place because the worst thing you can do is all the hard work put in place. And we're all humans, so mistakes are made. But to make a mistake that you know not to make, 
is where you're flying yourself uh, on eternity. And in, in one of our, interesting enough, in one of our previous startups, my brother and I learned that lesson very hard. I mean, I think this is number three for us. So we, have, we failed at two, exited one, and now we're on our fourth right now. Well, congratulations on the exit. Yeah, it was a long time coming. How do you scale this business? How do you make this business? I mean, so you're clearly, you're investable enough that you're able to attract capital and everything, right? But how do you take it to the next level? Like, what do you think needs to happen? Oh, so this is where it gets exciting for me. Next level. Next level is now turning on gasoline. It's a very scary time. The month of March is a very scary time for me because we spent October November, December, and January, and this month of February, fine-tuning our processes. I believe, I've learned from my losses that if we make as much things as we can measure, so we, we tested, and if you go on our Instagram, you can see that now you can shop directly from Instagram, or if you go on our Facebook, you can see that we can shop directly from Facebook. If you make everything as much as possible measurable, right, you will have a mathematical decision to make, which is much better than an emotional decision. And so what we did was we've been testing. We've been testing radio. We've been testing print. We've been testing print in Trinidad, print in Jamaica, print in New York. We've seen what gets traction, radio in, in Jamaica, radio in TT, radio in New York, radio in Miami, radio in Atlanta. Where are we getting traffic from? Publications, US publications, mainstream publications, CNBC, Instagram, Facebook, if we push product, if we push our service, where the levers are moving. And so now that we have, we are clear on what our acquisition costs per customer is. Nice. Key in an e-commerce business. We're clear on what channels are working for us. No, because it can change, right? We're clear on when we get the biggest bang for our buck. And we're clear on what we're going to try and what we're not going to do anymore from what we tried already. So now, is when we're going to go, here's our money pit, and here's some money, dump it. On <laughs> <laughs> what we know works, and dump it on some things that we try, and watch the engine work. And um, we're looking forward to opening up Canada as the next market. That's going to create great scalability for our merchants. And then we're looking forward, at the end of second quarter, we'll be launching the next two countries that we're we're going to be firing up on the platform because we are a carib shopper. It can't just be Jamaica and Trinidad. We are a carib shopper. We have to stick to our name. And it's Caribbean growth. So we have identified the two countries. We're going to double down on it in May. And then by June, you'll see the announcement. So we are, we're riding right now. Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely, I mean, you probably identified them already, but I mean, you did def- identify them already. But um, I would say that St. Lucia and Barbados both have pretty good entrepreneurial ecosystems in there. Yeah. You know, they have a good network of entrepreneurs in there. Yeah. So my next question. So what is your favorite failure story? And I'll say favorite to me just because of, of the impact it had on you and what you'd have learned from it and how it made you so much better and stronger. I mean, sorry to ask it as just off the cuff, but. No, man, I love that. I love that. That's actually where you learn the most. All my failures, I've learned the most from it, right? So my favorite failure story has to be when I bought a hotel with one of my friends. What's a hotel? Well, it's a guest house. So it was, it was five cottages. Let's just put it that way. There's five villas on a property in Portland, right? Okay. Okay. 
And it was a passion project. But the one thing I didn't do is I didn't count the cost. We count the cost to renovate because it was a renovation and build out. We did a great job on it, mm-hmm. right? But what we didn't count the cost on, what maintenance would cost and what it would, what it would cost to run a business like this with no experience in it. It's strictly a passion play. And so it taught me the lesson is you don't know what you don't know. I never put good money behind what you don't know. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's how most sophisticated investors think they do not invest in things they don't understand. So anything that sounds like too much of a fad, like, yeah, like for instance, Michael Leach and always say, hey, I don't understand Bitcoin coins, so my money is not touching that. But he should understand finances. <laughs> His money oh, yes. touched a little bit, but hey, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm not the one. Sixty thousand. I'm not the one. Uh, I'm not the one. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not something he understands. So he understands well. So yeah, sure. Again, and neither me. I I understand finance. Okay, Bitcoin. Woo. I, I don't know. This it starts to look like I can literally look at the matrix or something. <laughs> All right, Kenyan. So as we're getting ready to wrap up now. Is there anything that you want to you wanna leave with our audience? Anything we didn't cover? Anything you want to make sure that you get out there? Yeah. I mean, the selfish plug is going to come, right? So, you know, www.cabbagecaribshopper.com. Check us out. Buy your favorite Caribbean-made products, whether you're from Trinidad or Jamaica, right? We're looking for the support. Follow us on Instagram and, and Facebook. And for the entrepreneurs out there, the SMEs out there, we're ready and willing to help. We're doing capacity building for entrepreneurs also. So we're helping them with their imagery, their, their copy, the whole nine yards. And that is the hard dig that we have had to dig, but we know that's, that's where the value is going to be created. You know, thanks, Kevin, for inviting me on this podcast, because this is a great chat, man. I actually enjoyed myself. It wasn't like stoic and, okay, so tell me about your business. Right? It has been relaxing, and I hope, some of the nuggets that have come from this conversation can aid and help somebody else in their growth and in their journey, right? Because the book isn't done yet and it's still being written. So looking forward to rally back on this podcast and we can talk about yes, man. Yeah, man, where we are right now, right? All right, podcast world, there you have it. Getting e-commerce right with Cadian Preston. Subscribe to Caribbean Power Lunch at caribbeanpowerlunch.com slash subscribe. Check us out on Castbox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And with that, Podcast World, Cabin Studios, this was Caribbean Power Lunch with your host, Kevin Valley, with Kadian Preston, and we are out. <laughs> <laughs>